we'll be diving into our uh, fourth, I think, uh, week in our New Vision series. In just a moment, before that, just a, a few things for you to know. I've, I've wanted to share some things for about a month now, but due to some really good things like a luncheon, two lunches actually, and elders being presented before you and elders being appointed in the church, I've not had time. And so I'll take just a minute today um, to, to bring you up to speed on a few things. In the month of December, I, I want to give you just a, a kind of brief financial update. This was our, our contributions, if Jeff can pull that up for me. $39,822.78, which is um, really good, really exciting. Our monthly need for 2020 is going to be about $31,000, and so that's a, that's a great start. I don't know what January's numbers were. I'm sure a little bit lower than December, um, but that, that's, that's a great trajectory for us. And each time I, I kind of share where we're at financially, I want to give you a little bit of a window into what your giving goes to. Obviously, <laughs> Nate's here. As a result of your giving, I am the staff. We are able to do a lot of different things in this building and, and give to the community. Um, but I'm going to highlight one thing, and that's uh, the Likewise Worship Collective. And through the relationship with Justin Ungers, how Nate ended up here. Nate got to go to their retreat um, earlier in January. And in the, the mail a couple weeks ago, I got two thank you cards from other worship leaders that went to the uh, worship retreat because our funds, we, we continue to support likewise financially, uh, helped for them to be able to go. And so I just want to read you these. A, a picture is going to come up with it, um, which you may or may not be able to read, but I'll read it to you here. Dear Restoration Church, thank you so much for giving to myself and likewise. This retreat has been absolutely incredible and has drawn me so much closer to the Lord. This retreat was so needed in my life after a season of hopelessness, and I am leaving feeling recharged and filled. I can't wait to see how the Lord uses me from this point. Thank you so, so much, Hannah Swidensky. And then here's another from a, a guy named Stephen Myers, or Stephanie. He's a lot like me because he shares my last name, and also he wrote upside down, which isn't great, but that's something I would do. <laughs> He says, first off, love the last name. <laughs> Secondly, thank you. God has ignited my heart on this trip. It's honestly been life-changing. Before coming on this trip, I had been coming out of the hardest year I've ever encountered. But God's timing is always perfect, and he used likewise to really show me that. So thank you so much for making that possible. So thank you for your generosity, for making things like this possible. Um, all around the country, likewise worship. Uh, pastors and leaders are leading people and singing, singing praises and truths about our God, and, and you've contributed to that happening, not just here, uh, but all around our, our country and especially the West Coast. I, I want to do something. We have a, a station for cards with pens in the back of the room. I'm going to actually put these over there, and I'd love for you during response time or maybe after the gathering to write a prayer or, or just a note of encouragement to Hannah and to uh, Stephen here and just put it in the little uh, metal box and then we'll make sure we actually can deliver it to them. But I think to continue that relationship, to encourage them, to let them know that there's people in, in Little Prescott, Arizona praying for them would be a great way to partner in the gospel. So during our response time later or after the gathering, these will be there. There's, there's note cards and pens, just drop it in. We'll take care of the, the postage and the address and everything else. But I'd love for you to be able to encourage those likewise leaders in that way. Uh, lastly, 
since we're on the topic of worship, we are going to be having a worship night on March 5th. That'll be a Thursday night, two and a half weeks from now, I believe. I'm not great at math, but I think that's right. At 6 p.m. in this room, we did this in November, and it was just a, a great time to be together, to maybe get out of the normal rhythm and routine of our week and to come and to, to gather one extra time that week and to sing praises, to be unified, to be overwhelmed by who God is. So join us uh, March 5th at 6 p.m. in this room. And with that said, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to uh, Exodus chapter 3. Um, we're going to revisit some of what we discussed last week. But before we do that, though, I want to share a story with you about uh, a British, British officer who was captured by, by the Japanese in World War II. His name is Ernest Gordon. After he was captured during World War II, he was put to work with a, a ton of other captives, building a railway through uh, a jungle near Thailand for another mission they were hoping to do, the, the Japanese, that is. And the, the circumstances were really bad. It was about 120 degrees and extremely humid. So picture Phoenix and a really hot time, but extremely humid as well. They're working through the, the jungle, building this railway. And then we have to understand Japanese culture as well. It's a, it's a culture of honor and shame. And so the Japanese guards despised those they had taken captive because in their culture, it would have been better to die for what they were fighting for than to submit, surrender, and be taken captive. And so they were brutal with these men who had been taken captive. It's 120 degrees, and it created this culture where not only did the Japanese guards hate the captives, but the captives actually had to, in a way, hate one another. It's the only way they could survive. It was a survival of the fittest mentality. They had to lie, steep, or steep, that's great, steal and cheat, even kill one another if they needed to. It's the only way they could survive to get enough food and water through this terrible time since they had been captured. That's what they were living in the midst of. And then one day, a group of the captives came back from doing work on the railroad that they were building. And when they came back, they, they always did a count to make sure there was the exact number of shovel, shovels that came back with them as had left, and one was missing. And so one of the Japanese guards lined up all of the captives and started yelling and, and screaming and saying he would shoot every single one of them if somebody did not fess up and say where this shovel had gone. And as you can imagine, minutes go by, and the sweat starts to pour, and they were anxious and nervous about what was going to happen, but nobody stepped up. And so the Japanese soldier and guard started yelling out, all die, all die, all die, as in every single one of you is going to die if we do not find this shovel. And then at the last second, as the, the guard has his gun pointed to shoot the first person, somebody from the line steps forward, says, I, I left the shovel. And he was beaten brutally until he died. And that reminds me of Jesus' words in John 15, 9 through 13. We read this. As the Father has loved me, Jesus said, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. 
No one has greater love than this, that a man or someone would lay down his life for his friends. There's nothing as powerful as love in our worlds, because as we, we discussed last week, 1 John's also going to tell us that God is love. Death cannot hold love down and contain it. Sin cannot hold love down and contain it. Satan cannot hold back love because Jesus is love and Jesus triumphs over all. And so the power of love can't even be defined because there's no container to box it in. I want to read to you what Gordon actually said about this moment. This is in his journal that was um, revealed later. He said this, this, this officer that was taken captive. Death was still with us, no doubt about that. But we were slowly being freed from its destructive grip. We were seeing for ourselves the sharp contrast between the forces that made for life and death. Selfishness, hatred, envy, jealousy, greed, self-indulgence, laziness and pride were anti-life. Love, heroism, self-sacrifice, sympathy, mercy, integrity, and creative faith, on the other hand, were the essence of life, turning mere existence into living in its truest sense. These were the gifts of God to men. True, there was hatred, but there was also love. There was death, but there was also life. God had not left us. He was with us, calling us to live the divine life of fellowship. In his book, Rumors of Another World, Philip Yancey continues to kind of document this story, and he writes this. The kingdom of God began to break out in the camp, and in the midst of the hell of war, the beauty of heaven shone through. They started pooling the gifts and talents of the prisoners together to form a jungle university. Gordon taught philosophy and ethics. The university soon offered courses in history, philosophy, economics, math, natural science, and at least nine languages, including Latin, Greek, Russian, and Sanskrit. They built a church as a sacred place for worship. They made their own paint and started a gallery with showings. They made instruments and performed Mozart, ballets, and musical theater. And when they were eventually released, they treated the guards who had tortured and brutalized them with kindness and compassion. Here's the one thing I didn't tell you. After this man fessed up and said, I, I took the shovel and was brutally beaten and killed, later they found the shovel. No one took the shovel. But in the midst of this culture, this moment where he saw people that probably had stolen from him, maybe even tried to kill him to get their own food and water, he said, I see lives that are valuable and I'm going to sacrifice my own for their sake. And that changed everything in this camp. Philip Yancey continues to describe this. He says this, perhaps something like this was what Jesus had in mind when he turned again and again to his favorite topic, the kingdom of God. In the soil of this violent, disordered world, an alternative community may take root. It lives in hope of a day of liberation. In the meantime, it aligns itself with another world, not just spreading rumors, but planting settlements in advance of that coming The past few weeks, we've, we've talked about these three words, present, 
practice and preview as we've discussed our vision. And the vision has to start with joining Jesus as he presents to us himself, his character, his way of life. And as we're overwhelmed by who he is, by his faithfulness, his love, his compassion, his generosity, his graciousness, his, his forgiveness, that will lead us to then practice because we are, we're recognizing he's trustworthy. When we're overwhelmed with who he is, we go, he's, he's trustworthy, and so we're going to practice his way of life. And as we practice his way of life, that will actually lead to us being a preview, like a, a movie trailer, for the coming reign of Jesus. Jesus will reign as king. This is what the kingdom of God means. Jesus will reign as king on earth, and we are going to live in that. And, and that world, Jesus' world, will be characterized by his character. It will be perfect. It all has to start, though, with being overwhelmed we just saying those words, all to Jesus I surrender. Did you, did you think about that while you were singing? Surrender is a really weird word. Like that's not something we, we proclaim that we do with joy. I surrender. Unless that person absolutely has your best interest in mind, is in control of everything, knows everything, and will do good for you always. All to Jesus I surrender. I mean, that is a weird Statement. You would not say that about anyone else. I mean, the people in this room to your left or your right, that might be your spouse, a parent, a child. You can't trust them always because there's moments of selfishness. There's moments of pride. Parents are looking at me like, you're killing me. <laughs> it's true, though. They'll, parents will have your best interest almost always, but there will be moments we fail. There's nobody on this planet that will not fail you. There's nobody on this planet that you can trust every single time in every single moment. But always, always you can trust Jesus. Think about that. To have somebody you can call on their name. And no matter how dark the moment is, no matter how great the moment is, no matter what you've done, even to him, he is always trustworthy. That's the, the premise, the foundation we have to understand before we start talking about practicing following the way of Jesus. This is why the sequence matters. Can you pull up that, that slide, Jeff? It's built on being presented with who Jesus is, and then we practice. We can't practice and then add Jesus. The reason we practice is because he's laying out a way of life that is good and perfect, and we do it because he's fully trustworthy. So what is this practice, practicing the way of Jesus look like. Let's turn to uh, Exodus chapter 3 to kind of break that down. We read this passage last week. Moses is, is leading God's people, the, the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people. They've just been redeemed out of slavery, slavery and abuse in Egypt. And Moses is really struggling with the people. He, he's sick and tired of them because they're not good at listening. And he goes, God, I, ca I can't lead them anymore. I need your help. And he does this thing that, that we do. God, can you just like come down, pop up, show up, speak to me, let me see you and guide me through. Because we've all done that. Wouldn't it be easier? Like, God, if you were just here. And Moses says, or God says to Moses, no, it actually wouldn't be. It's not what's best for you now. Later, he'd send Jesus in human form to be there. But then Jesus would actually leave as well and say, I'm going to do one better. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to live in you and unite you with me. 
But in this, this moment, Moses isn't ready. But God says this, I've shared my name with you. And when Moses asked his name, it was, I am who I am, which doesn't make a lot of sense to us at first. But he goes, now I'm going to tell you what my name is. This is what we discussed last week, beginning in verse 5. The Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there, Moses, and proclaimed his name, Yahweh. Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh. Uh, last week we talked about the, the names here. I am who I am is Aye Asher Aye, if we could bring up that slide, Jeff. Yahweh means he is who he is. And so we can very quickly hear the similarity between Yahweh and Aye. It's the same root word. One is first person. One is third person. It's the same name God gives. It's still a unique name, though. To say, I am who I am. To, to, for, for people to proclaim about this God. He is who he is. This is what God is saying. I do not change. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I am defined by how I act. I am defined by my character. This is what my name means. And so he's telling Moses, and Moses will tell all the people, whenever you hear the name of Yahweh, here's what you can count on. Here's what you can know will happen. He is a compassionate and a gracious God, slow to anger and rich in faithful love and truth. Maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving wrongdoing, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's wrongdoing on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation, which simply means he's going to rid sin, even systemic and, and familial and generational sin that's causing all kinds of harm. He's going to free those people from it. When we're overwhelmed by who this God is, Here's a portrait, a picture of his character. How do we practice the way of Jesus? We embody his character in the everyday stuff of life. We live out his characteristics. That's the way of Jesus. So let's, let's break this down one more time. His world, Jesus' world, his, his reign as king on earth when he returns again will be characterized by this character, by, by this list right here. And so the, the first one is compassion. His world is a world where all people will be compassionate. I uh, just got done coaching uh, the, the high school basketball team I coach. And as I was thinking about this, th there's a kid on the team named Christian. He's a junior. He's a really goofy kid. And we're, we're practicing one day and the team is doing terrible. And so they had to run a lot of sprints. And every now and then I'll run with them just to try to stay in shape. So I'm running sprints with them. They're running sprints because they're just doing silly things. And so after that, we're uh, getting towards the end of, end of practice and we're scrimmaging. And, and I'm scrimmaging with them and I'm guarding Christian and Christian is guarding me. We're playing full court. And, and Christian is looking at me as we're running up and down. And he goes, coach. And I'm ignoring him because I'm paying attention to a bunch of other things. Coach. And, and finally, like we stop running and he goes, coach. I'm like, what is this kid doing? He's, he's saying it like genuinely and sincerely and like we're in the middle of practice, Christian coach, is something bothering you? Now that's an interesting question. And inside half of me is like cracking up. The other half is furious and I go, yes, Christian, something is wrong. First of all, you are bothering me. Second of all, there's not enough oxygen in my lungs and I feel like I'm going to die. It's funny, like in the midst of all this, Christian is the type of kid that just goes like, and he wasn't even thinking about basketball. He was just like, life. Like, this is not the moment for compassion. Like, we have things to do. 
So that's how Christian is. Uh, I was joking with Whitney, uh, our kids director, that Christian is like the high school male version of Whitney. Because we'll be having a con- I'll be having a conversation with somebody, and we'll, we'll figure things out and get things done. And then they'll go talk to Whitney, and Whitney will be like, is something bothering you? And there, there always is. She just has some, like, superhuman compassion radar that I do not have, even though I just talked to the person. And so this world where Jesus will reign as king will be one where we actually all, myself included, have this type of compassion. Imagine that world where everybody sees and seeks the needs of others. Like, that's not something we know. Whitney and Christian are unique people. His world will be one where grace abounds. This is the second characteristic we we hear about Yahweh God. He is who he is. About Jesus who proclaims himself as the I am. He's a gracious God. He gives good gifts. So so the world that Jesus will reign in is one that will be of abundance. There will be the greatest feasts and festivals and parties and celebrations that we've ever seen in the kingdom of God. It'll be a lot of fun. It'll be one where when there are needs, and there'll be needs for people, People just give generously without thinking about it because it's become their character. They're embodying the love of the Father, the love of Christ, and so we become givers. Can you imagine a culture? Can you imagine just in this room if we were actually generous people? If our first thought was for the sake of others instead of ourselves, can you imagine just how that would change today? Just how that would change your, your, your house, like the dining table. How would that change your vocation if all people were generous? That's the world that we will live in one day. That is Jesus' world. His world will be one with perfect faithfulness, perfect relationships. All will be true and good and right. There will be no adultery. There will be no slandering. There will be no abuse. There will be no leaving or straying. It will be perfect commitment that ties into generosity and compassion. Imagine a world with perfect faithfulness. We read that Yahweh is a God that is true. There will be no wondering if your mechanic is cheating you. There will be no wondering if the salesman has ulterior motives. Like there will never be that type of question. It will not exist. You will just know that everybody has everyone's best interest in mind. Everything will be true, whole, and good. We don't even, like, we can't even begin to fathom what relationships would look like if all was true. But we read that this God is slow to anger, which we talked about last week. The, the fact that God gets angry is actually really good because his anger is part of what's going to bring about his kingdom. Because when God sees with his eyes acts of oppression and injustice, when he, when he hears with his ears the cries of the people and when his heart feels their needs and their longings, and it's not a humanity the way he made it to be, he does something. He's going to be patient. He's going to give chances again and again and again. But after long enough, when people are hurting people, our God will rise up like a roaring lion and put an end to it. That is what's going to bring this list of characteristics, that world that every human longs for, that is only possible with the name of Jesus to fruition. And what we are called to do today, now, is to practice, not to perfect, not to be, but to practice living out his character now. Not just in this building, 
not just in your home, but in your vocation, at the grocery store, at the bank, when you're getting your hair cut, in every little part of life, this character is who we are called to be because we've actually now been united with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're supposed to train ourselves to practice, and we'll fail, and then we practice again, and then we'll fail, and then we practice again. Practice having eyes that see people's needs with compassion as you're driving down the street. Having ears that, that hear and actually listen to people's stories when you're at, you're at work or you're with the people that you talk to. And it's not just, hey, how are you? It's how are you actually doing and caring? I tried to have that conversation with Jared, but then he spilled his coffee. So I was like, we'll have to talk about how you are after the gathering. It's not going to work out. Imagine that world. These are the things that we're supposed to practice. And maybe as you think about applying those characteristics of who God is, that's a little bit overwhelming. Jesus is actually going to take all of that and, and package it into one word for us. And that word is love. Let's look at Matthew 23. In Matthew 23, Jesus is asked, what commandment in the law is the greatest? And Here's what he says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. The law and the prophets, uh, if you combine the law and the prophets, it's the whole Old Testament. And so what Jesus is saying is their Bible that they had in that day, it can all be summarized with this one word, love. If you get overwhelmed by compassion and grace, by justice, forgiveness, faithfulness, it all can be led by this one word, love. The seeking of a, another's best interest, putting their interests even above your own, love. It can all be summarized by this word, love. Not, not our culture's definition of love, not just being nice or some good feelings, but actually putting the needs of another above yourself. That might mean having a hard conversation that's going to be awkward and painful for you, but it's in their best interest. That might be love. Love might be sacrifice. Love actually is playing out those characteristics we just read. But Jesus is going to go, if you remember one thing, remember love. The, the New Testament is going to pound this theme again and again and again, I want to take a, a few minutes to look at a few places. First John 4.19 says this. We love because he first loved us. This is going to go back to the present practice and preview idea. We cannot just start practicing to be a preview. We have to be overwhelmed with who God is. We can't get the, the sequence out of order. We love because he first loved us. Here's a, another way to think about it. Loved by Jesus... We love Jesus, and then we love others. You're not going to just love without first being overwhelmed by, covered in, baptized by, drowned in the, the waters of the love of our triune God. Loved by Jesus, we'll love Jesus, and then we love others. We can never, ever, ever, ever skip that step and just start practicing. You will fail. 1 John 4.8 says something similar. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. And so if you're actually not loving people, John is saying you don't know God. 
because God is love. I am who I am. Yahweh, he is who he is, and he is love. And so if you're not loving people, but claim Christ, claim to be a Christian, John's saying, question that, because our Christianity is tied to the Christ, to Jesus, and he is love. What that probably means if you don't have love but are claiming to be a Christian, if you don't actually care for people, is that you're skipping to the practice part. You think good morals, being a good person, acts of service, do more good and less bad, it's how we do this Christian thing, and that actually has nothing to do with it. It's all about Jesus' love for us. And after we recognize he's trustworthy, then we go, his way is best, and so I'm going to walk down that path. One more passage I want us to look at. Romans 13, I think 8 through 10, it says this. Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And whatever other commandment, all are summed up by this. Here we go again. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. I, I love this passage from Paul. He, he kind of runs out of time, I think, as a communicator, or maybe his hand is getting tired as he's, I think, in a prison cell writing to, to the Romans. Um, and he goes, listen, the thing you need to remember is love because God is love and that's what Jesus does. That's what we're called to. Having been loved by him, recognizing he's the only one that is trustworthy always, we're going to practice his way of life. And if you can't remember the details, just love. Treat people well. Put their interest above your own. And then, then Paul does this thing. He goes, you remember some of the commandments. There's a lot in the law. And he goes, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not covet. And then he kind of just gets tired of it and he just goes, and whatever else, blah, 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 blah. Like, that's what Paul's doing as he's writing. He's just like, my hand's tired, you get the idea. Everything else there is not relevant, but love. That's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus did for us as we are presented with his love. And I should stop there again. All to Jesus I surrender. going on in your world in the midst of brokenness and challenges and the, the why God questions where you don't know what in the world he's doing and the, the celebrations and great and beautiful moments like in all of those moments all of who you are can be surrendered to Jesus you don't have to fight for it I think our greatest prayer is when we simply lift our hands up and go Jesus I can't and he says but I can it's actually not that complicated to Jesus I surrender. But it's hard to do because our culture says never surrender. And to a degree, there's some truth in that with people. But with Jesus, we can always trust. You are loved. And Jesus, the, the, the Almighty, the God of the universe, the creator, the designer, the Savior, the Sustainer, loves you. You're messed up, just like me. And in spite of all of that, knowing all of it, the worst, the best, Jesus loves. He always will, he always has, he's never going to stop. 
There's never a situation where his love will not be there. I want to close with, with one last story. On May 28, 1992, the principal cellist in the Sarajevo Opera dressed in his formal black tails and sat down on a fire-scorched chair in a bomb crater to play Albinoni's Adagio in G minor. The site was outside a bakery in Smajlovich's neighborhood where 22 people waiting in line for bread had been killed the previous day. During the siege of Sarajevo, from 1992 to 1995, more than 10,000 people were killed. The citizens lived in constant fear of shelling and snipers while struggling each day to find food and water. Smajlovich lived near one of the few working bakeries where a long line of people had gathered when a shell exploded. He rushed to the scene and was overcome with grief at the carnage. For the next 22 days, one for each victim of the bombing, he decided to challenge the ugliness of war with his only weapon, beauty. Known as the cellist of Sarajevo, Smajlovich not only performed outside the bakery, but continued to unleash the beauty of his music in graveyards, at funerals, in the rubble of buildings, and in the sniper-infested streets. I never stopped playing music throughout the sea, she said. My weapon was my cello. Although completely vulnerable, Smajlovich was never shot. It was as if the beauty of his presence repelled the violence of war. His music created an oasis amid the horror. It offered hope to the people of Sarajevo and a vision of beauty to the soldiers who were destroying the city. A reporter asked him if he was crazy for playing in a war zone. Smajlovich replied, why do you not ask if they are crazy for shelling Sarajevo? A creative minority does not accept the status quo. Through tangible actions, it steps into the brokenness of the world and begins to release a prophetic imagination about what life can be like. One of the most important things for us as a church to do is to imagine. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about this next week. To imagine what life will be like when Jesus reigns as king of glory. To imagine Prescott your workplace, your family, your relationships, the streets you drive on, government agencies, every little bit of our world and go, what will it be like? Imagine his character embodied and the everyday stuff of life. Imagine that. And give a little bit of a glimpse. Practice the way of Jesus. The embodiment of his character summed up in one word, love. Because you have been loved, because he loved us first, we love. He lays out a way of life, and it is good. It is right, it is whole, it is perfect. Now imagine our homes, our schools, our businesses, just, just the places that you as, as Restoration Church go out into in the greater Prescott area if the Holy Spirit empowers us to live life this way. I promise that will make a difference. And that's a beautiful hope, not only for us, but for this community around us. Let's pray. Jesus, once again, we thank you for who you are. That we can surrender not just some things, but every component of our lives to you. Overwhelm us with your love. God, I again pray as, as Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, that you would give us power not to do mighty things, but simply to grasp your love. Comprehend it. As we recognize, as we soak in your love, as we are baptized in the, the love of Father, Son, and Spirit, that's going to lead us to trust you fully, 
to love you, to love others, to practice your way of life, and to be a preview of your coming reign, Jesus. We look forward to the day you return. And in the meantime, empower us by your spirit to be a preview of your coming reign. We look to you in everything. We depend on you in all of life. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. As we uh, continue to worship now, we're going to worship in our response. And the only appropriate response is actually to take communion. If you are a, a follower of Christ, by our own power and effort, we're not capable uh, of living this life. That's why Jesus came and, and gave his life up on a cross and, and was killed, but then was raised to life three days later. And what we read in the scriptures is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are actually united with, connected to Jesus. And, and so as we take the bread and dip it into, into the cup, remembering Jesus' body and his blood, as you leave these doors, know that wherever you go, every place you go, he is with you, he loves you, he forgives you, and he's going to guide you to be human the way you were made to be. Our only role is actually to surrender and to say, Jesus, form me into the man or the woman that you've created me to be. Jesus, you lead. I'm joining you where you're already working. And so there's great hope, there's great encouragement as we take communion, whether individually or, or with your family or maybe your community here at Restoration Church, because as we take communion, we know that Christ goes before us. He is with us. During this next song, let's continue to worship. There's two stations for communion. And then at the, the end of our gathering, uh, there's two boxes for giving. Uh, again, we're going to give at the end of the gathering as we walk out and surge into the everyday stuff of life, connecting our hearts, which are often connected to our, our money, our finances. To Jesus and say all of my life, all to Jesus I surrender, and that includes our finances. So there's two boxes for giving as a form of worship or instructions on how to do so online in the card and the chair in front of you if you'd like to do that. And then please don't forget uh, the, the cards I'm going to place for those worship leaders. I'd love for you to write a note to them that we could send to them. Let's continue to worship now.